love that video. That video is everything you don't want to do when you're inviting people to Easter. What we do want you to do is grab some of these little cards that are at the connection point. We're expecting around 3,000 folks on Easter weekend. A lot of those people are not going to know the Lord. And this is one of the only chances to reach them. Because people will go to church on Easter. For some reason, they'll go. Getting feedback up here, Sean. And then, um, so we have these. We've made these. These are handouts. And it says, fairy tale or it really happened. The resurrection. And it shows Jesus walking out of a tomb. So hand them out. You don't have to talk. Just take it to your neighbor and or your coworker or the restaurants. I'm going to leave a lot of them in Starbucks, where which God created on the eighth day. Just kidding. But here they are, and you can grab a stack of them when you go to leave today, and just be sure you're going to hand them all out. I wouldn't normally do this, but I got to do this. Ruben and Marissa, y'all come up here real quick. Just come up here and stand. Now, this is. You talk about being great with child. Before I get into the word, I just got to tell you, they went to the doctor because they're expecting, and they got a sonogram. Turn around. Reuben's still in a state of shock. I can tell. He's thinking. And the doctor said, whoa, there's not just one, and there's not just two. There's three. (laughs) And I thought... So I want everybody to put your hands up towards them right now. And we're going to, I'm kidding. That's what you call great, great, great with child. All right. Y'all can be seated or go stand, Ruben. Look at Ruben. He's in a state of shock. We're growing our own harvest. Amen. How many of you love the word? We're going to talk today about not being deceived. The Bible says four times in the New Testament, a verse begins with, be not deceived. And they're all to Christians, every one of them. So I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And I want to talk to you today about something that God's been dealing with me about very strongly, honestly, for years. Be not deceived by cultural lies. Now, this passage we're about to read is written to to the Corinthians, to Christians, not the lost. This is written to Christians. So that makes it kind of shocking when you look at what he tells them not to do. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now he's about to give us a laundry list. Look what he says. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the great part. Such were some of you. Isn't that a pretty were? Instead of are or is, it's were. Past tense. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that a great passage? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts and help us not to be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, be not deceived. You can be seated. And let me just share this passage with you. Very important message. The Bible 
clearly teaches that society will degenerate in the end times. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It was rampant immorality and terrible violence in the days of Noah. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days that I return. Then the Apostle Paul said that society in the last days is going to descend into a black pit of immorality, violence, and paganism. We ought not be surprised by what we see happening around us because Scripture predicted it would happen. Paul went on to write as a prophet. He said men are going to be lovers of themselves, narcissistic, lovers of money, materialistic, lovers of pleasure, hedonistic. They will be boastful, arrogant, and unholy. And children will be disobedient to their parents, The whole infrastructure and fabric of culture will disintegrate in the last days. There will be a total breakdown of morality, a total breakdown of ethics, and a total breakdown of any any kind of godliness except in the church in the last days. Sounds like the evening news, doesn't it? Guess what, everybody? This is not what's coming. We're there. It doesn't take having an IQ above room temperature to realize we're there. If you read any news, if you're aware at all of what's going on around you, our culture is slipping quickly by the day, yea, by the hour, into a moral abyss. In American culture, I never thought I'd see the day when right has become wrong, and wrong is right. When morality is now considered immoral. If you're moral, you're immoral. And if you're immoral, you're normal. Those of us standing on the values and the morality of Scripture are being persecuted increasingly by the day in the land of the free and the home of the brave. The land where Christians and God-fearing people dedicated this nation. Now... If you're a God-fearing Christian, stand on the Word of God and believe in absolute truth, you are persecuted for it. Bigots, haters, called all kinds of wonderful adjectives, while those living godless, unbiblical lives aren't just tolerated, they're celebrated. This has happened in my lifetime. I started preaching 40 years ago. I started young. Sorry, when I was 18. And I'm telling you, the whole culture has changed in those 40 years. Totally changed. Isaiah warned about this saying, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Terry, I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. Thank you. Those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them. Woe to you when you... Turn upside down God's moral law. He said, whoa. Now, when God speaks a woe over you, you need to say, whoa. A society that has fallen so badly that it calls good evil and evil good has clearly bought into Satan's lies. No doubt about it. Now, when a society uh, believes and embraces lies... It always propagates those lies and repeats those lies and pressures its members to embrace those lies. 
This is why our title today is Be Not Deceived by Cultural Lies. Now, let me tell you what a cultural lie is, what I mean by that when I say it. A cultural lie is a belief or a value accepted by the majority that is immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. A cultural lie is when, is when your, the society you live in has accepted as true a belief or a value that is immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. Now, when a society embraces a lie and calls it truth, this is where Jesus' words apply to the Christian. Now, Jesus told you and me as believers exactly who we were and what our function is as believers. And here it is right here. Jesus said, when I put you in a culture and, I, and my church is, all churches are in secular cultures. God plants us there. He says, in the culture, you are salt and you are light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. As my people... You are salt and you are light in the culture. Now picture a great big salt shaker and you're in it. And God takes that salt shaker and he puts it over different societies and he salts us into it. The significance of salt and light is simple. Light dispels darkness and salt is a preservative against decay and rot. Jesus said, you're the salt and you're the light. The church is supposed to dispel spiritual darkness and help prevent societal decay, moral rot, ethical rot. The, the, the church is God's gift to any society, whether or not they know it or like to you know, admit that. But a really salty church keeps a society from decay and shines light into the dark and exposes falsehood and promotes truth in love. You see, we're not to go along with the culture, go along to get along. We're not to try to, to blend in so that everybody will love us. Jesus did not call us to act in such a way so that everybody would love us. He said, as they have hated me, they'll hate you. As they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. No, he didn't put us here so that everybody would love us. He put us here so that we would shine and so that we would be salty with his truth. We are to stand against the grain of a culture that goes astray. Rather than being part of the godless culture, we're to be countercultural. You know, in the 60s, I was a hippie, believe it or not. Hair down to here and turn me sideways, you couldn't see me. Had my bell-bottom blue jeans and my t-shirt and the whole bit. But, I, but we were called countercultural. And then I thought when I got saved, well, now I'm no longer countercultural. Now I'm normal. But guess what? I'm countercultural again. Because I'm supposed to counter the culture. Because when the culture goes into error, it's the church God looks to. God doesn't look to a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian. When God wants to heal a nation, He says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. When, when a nation needs to be healed, God looks to His people. So it's got to begin with us. Judgment, the Bible says, begins in the house of God. Now, Jesus said when the church fails to do this, be salty and shine light, it loses its ability to influence the culture for God, which is our calling. 
He said, if the salt loses its flavor, let me tell you what's going to happen to it. It's going to be good for nothing and thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Even secular men lose their respect for a church that's hypocritical, that doesn't walk in the light. Ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly where we are in American history today. Can I inform you the battle is on? We're in the heat of what some are calling a culture war, but it's really not a culture war. It's a spiritual war between the forces of light and the forces of darkness, and it's mightily manifesting within the culture. Cultural lies are abounding all around us. And they're attacking, the lies are attacking the centuries-old truth and values and morals presented in the Word of God. And churches that decide, well, you know what, we're not going to blend with the culture or we're not going to agree with the culture. We're going to have to stand on the Word of God and stand for truth and promote Jesus Christ. Those churches are really coming under the gun and really being persecuted. Really being shot at. Demonized, vilified, called names. Author and seminary president Al Mohler recently wrote these words, quote, Evangelical Christians are now called upon to think strategically about what it means to speak truthfully and lovingly to a society that increasingly sees us as the moral outlaws. Here's a fact to be salt and light. The church is going to have to stand out as being different from the world it's trying to reach. If we as the church get out there and we look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, think like the world, live like the world, how can we possibly preach to the world that we have found something they don't have? God didn't call us to blend in. He called us to stick out. He said, I made you a city on a hill. I have placed you on a hill like a city. And, and, and I don't want you to, once your candle is lit, to put it under a bushel, but I want you to hold it up high and let it give light to everybody that are in the house. God didn't call us to blend in. He called us to stand out, stick out, and, and be really, really undeniably there. But unfortunately, the opposite is what's happening in much of the American church. According to pollsters such as the Barna Group, Evangelical Christians embrace lifestyles, quote, every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. Many Christians, says Barna, choose to live their lives and raise their children much the same as non-Christians. He continues, they continue to pursue the same physical pleasures practice the same ethical values, acquire the same material luxuries, and entertain themselves in the same ways their non-church neighbors do. And he concludes saying, every day the church in America is becoming more like the world it supposedly seeks to change. Here's the bottom line. There's no distinction, no difference between the average Christian and the world. Now, I'm not here to beat up on anybody. I'm really not. This is the word of the Lord. And I want us at Turning Point to understand what our calling is. We're called to be salt. Can you, can you say with me, salty? salty. And light. light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So why should we feel so bad 
We're the light shining in a dark place. Without light, everybody is lost. We're salt. Without salt, everything rots. We're a blessing, not a curse. The head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The answer, not a question mark. Now, how has it happened that there's no distinction between the church and the world? How's it happened? I'm going to tell you exactly how it's happened. Because of cultural lies. There has taken place a lethal, toxic absorption of false cultural values into the church. We're getting our morality from People magazine instead of the Bible. We're listening to Oprah more than we are Jehovah Jireh. We're being influenced by a culture that is backslidden, that is godless. And the last thing we need is the world to teach us how to live. We have the greatest philosopher that ever walked the earth. Greater than Socrates, greater than Plato, greater than Aristotle, greater than Nietzsche. You name a philosopher that you like, I'm telling you, they are all put in the shade by the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet. Now, the, the, the Christians who look like the world and live like the world, we, we call them cultural Christians. Now, here's the problem. Cultural Christians have experienced salvation, but not sanctification. They're justified in Christ, but they're not sanctified in their lifestyle. The Bible tells the Christian that when we get saved, yeah, we're still in the world, but guess what? We're not of the world. Now, I'm going to say that again. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in it, but not of it. The Apostle John warned. He said, don't love the world. Now, when he says that, he doesn't mean the beautiful creation. I love God's creation. I, I am amazed at God's creation. Now, it is a stupendous, amazing, unspeakably gorgeous creation. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the world system of which God, the devil is God, little g. He's the God of this world, little g. And, and the, the world he's talking about is driven by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. John said, don't love that world, that evil world system. Don't love it or the things in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Paul warned about the seduction of the world, the way the cultural lies can find their way into your mind and seduce you into the ways of the world. He said, don't be conformed. That means poured into the mold of the patterns of this world. Don't think like them. Don't live like them. Don't talk like them. Don't walk like them. Because you are in this world, but not of it. Our world is coming. We are in a hotel. We're only passing through. One day, we're all checking out. And we're going to go to our real home, which is glory. It's in heaven. Paul said, don't be conformed to this current world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and acceptable. So conformed or transformed is the choice of every believer. We will either be poured into this world's mold or poured into the mold of God's kingdom. And that makes all the difference in the world. You're either a cultural Christian or a spiritual Christian. A cultural Christian 
receives his or her values and morals and worldview from this current fallen world. But the spiritual Christian has a motto. And that motto is in the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That means instruction in how we are to live. See, when I have a moral dilemma or a moral question, I don't go watch TV to find the answer. I don't go get Cosmo magazine to find the answer. I don't care what Jay-Z or Lil' Kim says about it. If I want to know how to live my life, I don't go check out what Kim Kardashian is up to. God help us. I'm going to make the sign of the cross right there. No, I'm going to get my instruction from here, for all Scripture, all of it is given by inspiration of God. And it profits you for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in how to live this life. So I check here. I check here. And if I check here, that makes me a spiritual, true disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to know what the red ink says. I want to know what Paul had to say, moved by the Holy Spirit. What Peter had to say, James, John, and Jude. I want to read the prophets. I want to read the Psalms. I want to renew my mind by the intake of the Word of God. In light of these things, I want to look at three cultural lies we all are tempted and really pressured to be sucked into. And I'm going to go through them pretty quickly, but here they are. First, we find them in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10. These are cultural lies that took God's people down. So we're going to put them up there, and I want you to read them with me. Are you ready? Let's read it all together. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Isn't that a somber word? Now, Paul is using the children of Israel who are making their way through the wilderness and on their way to the promised land. The folks he just pointed out was the first generation. They didn't make it. They didn't make it because they were pulled down by three cultural lies. They did not cross the Jordan. Paul said, what happened to them happened for our learning so that we will not make the same mistakes. Now, the first one is idolatry. Now, as soon as I say idolatry, they fell for the cultural lie of idolatry. A lot of you immediately picture a little wooden figurine and somebody walking up to it and kissing it and bowing down to it in the deep, dark corners of the crevices of Africa. You say, well, that's idolatry and that doesn't happen anymore. And we're not living in that day. And let me tell you something. Yes, we are. Idolatry is not a little wooden figurine that you worship. An idol can be Anything. I've always found it interesting that the top-rated TV show for years in America has been American Idol. We live in a nation that worships many different idols. Let me give you a few. Celebrities. We pattern our life after people who are living godless lives because they're famous. Sports heroes. Politicians, don't know how anybody does that, but some do. 
False gods, money, fame, self. As a matter of fact, anything can be an idol. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. So one of the cultural lies that every one of us here today must resist is that we have to choose the idols our society has chosen. We don't. But the pressure is on. On the way to church, it hit me. I started thinking about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they were all taken into Babylonian captivity, you had Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, the cream of the crop. They were brilliant. They were gifted. God planted them as salt and light in the Babylonian kingdom during the captivity. But one day, they built a huge statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And they released an edict. And the edict was, when the trumpet blows, everybody in Babylon, everyone, men, women, and children, must bow and worship the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And when that edict was released, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel said, No way. I worship only one God, the true and the living God. I will not commit idolatry. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't. And he said, those that don't bow are going to be thrown into the burning, fiery oven. And I'm going to turn it up seven times hotter just for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, even so, we will not bow. And if God doesn't come to save us, we're going home. But if he does, that's up to him. But I will not accept the idolatry of this fallen nation. So you know the rest of the story. The trumpet blew and they didn't bow and it got back to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had them arrested and he threw them into the oven and then looked down a little bit later. He said, wait a minute, weren't there just three? They said, yes, king, we threw three people in there. He said, I see a fourth man and he looks like the son of God. And it was the Son of God. It was the Son of God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown down there, tied up, their hands and feet tied up. And what God did, He burned the ropes off. Everything that bound them was burned off when they took a stand against idolatry. And they got to meet Jesus down in the middle of that burning, fiery oven. And the whole kingdom of Babylon said, their God is the real God. And what did it? God's children refused To accept the cultural lie of false idolatry. You say, Jeff, come on, big deal. Why should this even matter? It matters one reason, big one, is because the idol you choose will decide what you become. See, we all worship something. And the Bible says those that make them, talking about making idols to worship, those that make them will be just like them. Psalms 115 verse 8. What you worship is what you will become. And so, why does it matter that we worship only the Lord? Because I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like some celebrity. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like anything that our nation has anointed as an idol. I don't want to be like any of it. I want Him. Another reason it's, it matters big time is whatever your idol is decides what you will worship. And whatever you worship decides what has your heart. Can I tell you that God wants one thing in here today? He wants the heart of every person in this room. And everyone listening to me, He wants your heart. The Bible says, give me your heart, my son. One non-negotiable thing about Christianity 
is that Jesus must be first in your life. Christianity doesn't work if he's not first. A car is made for gasoline. Christianity is made for Jesus being first, foremost, numero uno in your life. If he's not, Christianity doesn't work. So these people that leave church and leave prayer and go into some other religion and say Christianity didn't work for me, no, you're wrong. Christianity didn't fail you. Christianity was not tried and found wanting. It was found difficult and not tried. People misunderstood the terms of the relationship. The terms are he must be first of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, anybody who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Even your, your children or your spouses or your parents must take second place to him. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy to the devil in the wilderness. And he said, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So why does an idol matter? Because an idol removes Jesus from first place in your life. So anything that seizes your heart above him is an idol. Now, the second group Paul addresses are those who fell in the cultural lie of sexual immorality. Now, I want you to listen to the power of what God's word is telling us. The Bible records that 23,000 of God's chosen people who had seen the sea part, who had walked over as on dry land, who had, were fed by manna every single morning, who had the cloud by day and the fire by night, who had water come to them from out of a dead, dry rock. Those chosen people, 23,000 fell in one day through sexual immorality. Now, you've got to say, how did that happen? Here's how it happened. They had absorbed the cultural lies of the pagan cultures around them. God had said, don't learn from them. Don't intermarry with them. Don't be taught by them. Don't run around with them. But they had. They broke God's law. And what happened is they finally believed the cultural lie. And here's the lie. Your body is yours to do with what you want. Isn't that the message of our culture? Sure it is. Your body is yours. And you can do whatever you want with it. It's a cultural lie. So if you are impregnated and you don't want the child, it's your body. Go, go get the child aborted. Not, not, not thinking that the child is aborted has nothing to do with your body. As in being your body, you're aborting the child's body. Now, they absorbed this lie. Your body is yours to do with what you want. Have you believed that? Tell the truth to yourself. Because what does God's Word say? It says your body is the Lord's. Not to do with as you want, but to do with as you ought. So quiet. We have to edit out all that clapping, Terry, for radio. I know what you're doing. You're thinking. Because the lie, the cultural lie, has so permeated our culture. Has so permeated the church. You know, Pastor Jeff, it's my body. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, you are bought with a price. Therefore, you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's what it says. 
On the cross, Jesus Christ shed his blood. That blood became the most potent currency in the history of the world. Jesus slapped that blood down at the bar of God and said, All right, I shed my blood for the sins of mankind. And God said, Got it. I receive it. Whoever puts faith in your shed blood will be forgiven of their sins. And from that point on, they will no longer be their own, but they will be owned by you. So your body is not your own. It's the Lord. So we are to glorify God in our body, not in sexual immorality, but glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Cultural lies about gender, sex, and what is sexually right and wrong are bombarding us today like we're in a war zone. You can't escape it. It's everywhere. Our children are being taught in public schools things they are not remotely Ready to hear. Do you know that most U.S. public schools start sex education in the fifth grade? Do you know that? Can I be honest with you? When I was in fifth grade, girls had cooties and I was playing marbles. Some of you don't even know what cooties is. We just didn't get around girls in the fifth grade. They were, I was hunting fossils in the woods in the fifth grade. No more. Shockingly, within two years, catch this, sex education in Chicago. I'm giving you a for instance here. Sex education in Chicago will be coming to kindergartners, five-year-olds, as part of an overhaul of the Chicago Public Schools sexual health program. Five? Have you lost your mind? Five years old? Beam me up, Scotty. For the first time in Chicago, sex ed instruction will cover sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, what that means is that young children are going to be introduced to terms and definitions relating to heterosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender sexual lifestyles. You know what they're going to be taught? They're going to be taught about the possibility they might one day realize they are gay or bisexual. And if they do, that's okay, because that's normal. And if you don't think that's normal, you're not normal. The dirty little secret is that much of public school sex education is not education at all. It is indoctrination into sexual lifestyles clearly condemned by Scripture. But watch it, church, because the leaven of cultural lies is permeating a lot of the church body. And they're getting their truth from what the culture is saying is true and not from here. And when you do that, you're losing your foundation and you're going out in a ship at sea with no anchor and no compass. False messages on homosexuality, same-sex marriage, premarital sex, moral absolutes, and gender uh, roles are constantly bombarding our culture day in and day out. See, when a nation rejects the Word of God, church, as a measuring rod for what is right and wrong, it falls into the trap of every person doing what is right in his or her own eyes. And the Bible has a problem with that. It says... Uh, there's a way that seems right to the eyes of a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
So left to ourselves, we won't find the right way. That's why we need the Bible. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It's a guide for me. But this is the nation we're living in now. We must reject the cultural lie of idolatry and we've got to reject the cultural lie concerning sexuality. You know what really hit me is it says that those that fell in the sexual immorality were bitten by serpents. Driving to church again, this hit me. Bitten by serpents when they rejected God's moral standards. Isn't it still true today? You give up God's moral standards and go your own way and believe what the culture is telling you, that your body is yours and you can do what you want. And there's no such thing as sin and no such thing as ultimate, absolute right and wrong. And aren't you anyway, because God made you after His own image, bitten by guilt when you go against it? Aren't you bitten by STDs? Did you know that in the 60s there were only two STDs, syphilis and gonorrhea, and now there's 36? That's the, that's the whirlwind from the sexual revolution. Is it really worth it? What about being bit when you wake up the next morning, my dear sister, feeling used, taken advantage of, like a piece of meat, no real value? Bitten. They were bitten by serpents. It's something to really think about because really, where are you going to get your truth? Are you going to get it from the Bible? Better decide now. Or are you going to get it from the culture? Which I promise you will lead you astray. Our culture needs saving, not following. Now the last one I'm going to do quickly. The cultural lie of rejecting God. Our culture has an attitude about God. And so did Israel. It says they grumbled and they complained against God and His goodness. And as a result, they were destroyed by the destroyer. The sexually immoral were bitten by a serpent, but those that had an attitude about God were destroyed by the destroyer. So both things opened the door for the enemy to come into their life. Paul talks about them in Romans 1.21. Although they knew God, although they knew God, knew that He was there, knew that He was real, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Fools is taken from a Greek word meaning moron, which means stupid. And if I could just be real blunt today, I mean, don't you watch the news sometimes and go, stupid. How can you spend money to get out of debt? Stupid. How can you live like an alley cat and think you're going to get away with it? Stupid. I remember vividly when those jets hit the Twin Towers on 9-11. All the news commentators could say was, where was God? Where was God? All the morning news anchors that, that want nothing to do with God. Where was God? Where was God? God's name was maligned. It was questioned. His character was impugned on a national scale. I heard the question over and over again. I want to reach through the screen. And I want to say, wait a minute. Dude and dudette. Anchorette, you've kicked him out of the schools, you've kicked him out of sports events, you've kicked him out of the public square, you've taken him away from the school walls, and everywhere else you can think of, and now you want to know where he was? 
America is playing a very dangerous game with God. America is in for some very harsh judgments if she doesn't turn quickly. The Israelites tested God's patience. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why do we have to eat this boring manna every day? Why don't we have enough water? Why this and why that? Moses said to them, can I just give you a, a mosaic paraphrase? Shut up. And let me tell you the truth. He said, don't you remember that for all these 40 years, your clothes have not worn out and your feet didn't blister or swell? He has given you a miracle of water out of a rock and he has given you manna on the ground every day. He has guided you by his fire by night and the cloud by day. He's never left you alone. He's never forsaken you. He's forgiven you over and over again. You've got so much you could be thankful for and all you can do is have an attitude. And gripe and complain, and the destroyer swooped in on them with that attitude. The cultural lie is that God should be ignored and taken for granted, should not be acknowledged, should not be brought forth in a public setting. But the Bible truth is he's to be acknowledged and thanked every day. You know, you say, well, I can't think of anything to thank God for. Oh, are you saved? You can thank God for your salvation because He could have left you alone, alone and you would have gone straight to hell. But His grace knocked on the door of your heart. You say, well, I don't have anything. I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I'm not... You've got the Lord living inside of you. You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the God of hope. He has washed you in His blood. He has filled you with His Holy Spirit. Can I just preach Jesus up a little bit here today? He has given you all the promises of God. He has washed you of all your sin. He has removed condemnation from your mind. He has stood you on your feet. He has placed you in your destiny. You're going to heaven and not hell. You're alive and not dead. You see and you're not blind. And God's going to turn it around. He's going to make everything work together for your good. So praise Him. Praise Him. Come on, church. Praise Him. Don't be afraid to thank the Lord. Tell the devil where to get off. Can we stand together? What happened just now? The devil hates more than anything I've done up to now. Because when you start thanking the Lord, the devil's got to go. He can't stand God's presence. Here's what we said in a nutshell. Say it with me. Don't accept the culture's idols. Make Jesus first. Second, don't accept the culture's sexual standards. Give your body to the Lord. And finally, don't accept the culture's attitude towards God. Give Him praise every day. Amen? Give Him praise every day. Amen. Let's bow. Father, I thank you for renewing our minds and helping us to reject the culture's lies, to cleave to your word, to walk in your truth. Now, you're here today and you say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've drifted. Probably some kind of cultural lie helped you along. 
Can you come back home to him today? He's waiting for you to come back. His arms are open. He's calling you home. I wouldn't get in my car. I wouldn't get on the highway without getting it right with God. If you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I don't even know if I've ever accepted Jesus into my heart. You can do it right now. If you've got a question mark about it, you probably haven't. You can do it today. And He'll renew your mind. Change your life. If you're in either one of those two categories, would you let me pray with you? I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up and say, I need to get right with Him. I need to give my heart to Him in a new commitment. I see you, many of you, all over the place. God bless you. I want you to do something. I'm going to ask you to slip out and come down here right now. Say, why do I have to come down there? Because everybody that Jesus called, He called publicly. I'm asking you to take a step of faith. A step of faith. And just say, today, I'm giving Him my heart. I'm giving Him my all. And I'm going to walk with Him. I'm going to stand here. I'm just going to wait for a moment as Heidi plays lightly. You come. If you raise your hand, you come. If you can't do it here, you're never going to stand for Him out there. You come in Jesus' name. We're going to wait for you. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. While you're coming, I want to do this. We want to pray for you to be healed. We have prayers here today who have been trained to pray for the healing of the sick. And I want you to come and say, I need to be healed. As long as God is touching people, let's let Him heal. So you come right now if you need the healing of the Lord. And stand here and let God touch you today. Just come now. We're going to believe God to heal your home, heal your body, maybe a broken heart. We're going to believe God to heal you. In Jesus' name, let's say, thank you.